and welcome back to the Fit Method Podcast. I'm your host, David Lohman. Returning with me is Gary Ross and Hannah Preservati. How's, how's you guys going? Fantastic. Beautiful Pretty weather good. here in Charlotte. It is. A special, special week of weather for Unbelievable. us. Unbelievable. But uh, yeah, so May, May's upon us. We got a bunch of Q&A questions to dive into today. But uh, Some good ones for sure today. I'll... Um, I'll I'll just ask the first one. Yeah, go for it. We'll just kind of jump right into it. Um, I didn't have like a ton of stuff to open with, but uh, just so everybody's um, up to speed here. So this, this is kind of all across the board. Uh, we're just going to hit a bunch of different topics, but awesome. First one is, and this is more of a tool that could be used for athletes for general population. Question that I get semi frequently is, should I use a belt? Um, and the, I guess a follow-up would be, how do I use it properly if I'm, if I'm going to use it? A weightlifting belt? Weightlifting belt. Yeah, I mean, obviously everything I say is with a grain of salt, right? There's no absolutes, but I would say, generally speaking, no. Um, and, and here's why. I don't like people using wraps around their wrist either, right? Especially with an athletic population, they need to be as strong. If, you, if your grip can't hold the barbell, you're not strong enough. If you don't have proper core bracing and mechanics and you have to rely on a belt, the problem with, this, with the belt is when you remove the belt out of the equation and you're playing sports, for example, and you have to whether take contact or something and you're used to having the belt brace for you, it doesn't really come from our background of post-rehab and injury prevention in my, in my mind. So generally speaking, if they need to use a belt and they're doing true powerlifting and that's what they're competing in, they should probably seek somebody who specializes in that. Not that we can't do that here, but it doesn't go with our philosophy, or at least not with my philosophy. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Anna? I, I agree. Um, like you said, there's specific situations like with powerlifting and things like sure. that. But um, core bracing, if, if you use the, the belt, you kind of, it's almost a cheat, and you don't really learn how to properly use the core. And so as you keep going up and progressing in weight, that you can't technically control with your yeah. with your core, then you're doing yourself an injustice. But. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like if you look at a lot of the old school bodybuilders that I've met over the years, uh, they used belts number one, and they used a lot of machine based training. So their core was never forced to be strong. They were full of muscle mass everywhere but their core, and so inevitably, as they got older, they all had bad lower backs and hips and, and pain. So, yeah, generally speaking, philosophically, I think. No, no to belts. Yeah. I think it is a good cueing tool if if you want to use it for that. Like if somebody has a really hard time learning how to brace, mm-hmm. you can kind of use that as a way to teach them how to breathe. To in, expand. Into it. Yes. Uh, that's how it should feel. So then they know, okay, that that's, and then take it off and then try and replicate that without it. Yeah. I, I found that that's been. If it's used been, as that, yes. But generally it's speaking, not used, it's not used as that. It's yeah, not yeah, used yeah. Yeah, we, we don't see it typically used like that. In but a, if it's in used for setting. that, for like diaphragmatic breathing and like getting the core to stabilize by pressing out, yeah, that's that's fine. Because I know there's a bunch of different belt brands now. You've got the breath belt. Yeah, my buddy's um, involved with that actually. Uh, Live Kinetically, Dan Palacios, he helped to launch that that, that company. So that one is, have you seen the breath belt? I have not. Yeah, it's that one's solid because again, it's it's te- it's teaching you how to properly brace against it Yeah. versus giving you that false illusion of like this belt's going to hold your back in place while you do a a back squat. Correct. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, that, that was an easy one. Yeah. Uh, number two, what is the optimal <laughs> optimal rest time between sets? So, this is a, it depends, right? hundred <laughs> percent. I'll let you go first. Um, well, yeah, like you said, it depends. Um, what are you training for? 
Um, is it a rest for systemic or is it muscular fatigue? Um, it's all dependent on what your training goals are. Um, I know there's by the book numbers, like if you're going for strength, three to five minutes, um, no hypertrophy, 45 seconds to a minute and a half, but it also depends. Those are all guidelines. Everyone's different. Yep. Um, and someone's CNS could take a lot longer to recover um, nerve-wise and might need a little longer, or they might need less to get training adaptation. So that's a that's a tough one. But. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it does depend. It depends on the athlete. There are some guidelines. I would say that that three to five minutes for strength, I would probably agree with that, generally speaking. Um, it does depend. It's why we don't really necessarily, like sometimes training clients are surprised that we do full body circuits or that we don't just do a chest day. But then when I break down the time breakdown of like, okay, let's do a chest day. Even if we're doing hypertrophy, by that third or fourth set, that rest period is probably what, a couple minutes? How efficiently do we use time if we're just doing a chest day? By the time you factor, you're resting more than you're training. Exactly. Right? Yep. So, uh, yeah, but it, it does depend. Um, but I would say whatever that goal is, whether it's in muscular endurance, strength, power, hypertrophy, make sure you are having a planned, just like a tempo in the lift, you should have a rest period planned. Don't just go out there and, oh, bro, just lift until I can't move my arms. That's not going to really benefit any of those other than the hypertrophy. But still, you still want to have good form. Well, and the key word there was optimal. Yeah. You know, for some people, might, it might be what's the most reasonable. Yeah. Because they might not be able to rest five minutes between sets or, um, you know, I, I was listening to an interview by, I forget the name of the doctor, but he's kind of into the research behind what's the minimum effective dose for strength mm. and hypertrophy. Mm. He's kind of diving into that field now. And he was saying that if you were doing the bare minimum, like two to four sets a week, you would rest probably about three minutes. Mm. So that would be quote unquote optimal. But for some people it might be two minutes sure. would be more reasonable sure. for their, for their time parameters and their time domain. Yeah, That makes sense. So a side note too with rest periods is um, I always think it's very important to have a plan for your rest period. Mm -hmm. um, don't just sit there and rest. Like you can work on breath work. Um, you can work on different training um, adaptations that don't involve that muscular or even like your mental um, capacity. Like you're just purely resting, learning how to bring your body down or balance work. I love you using balance work with my athletes as their rest period. Um, as long as we're not really focusing on stability of the lower leg for the main lift. but Yeah, and I, I see some coaches like Mentis does some mobility stuff in between. Yeah. And, I mean, you got to fill that time wisely. Yeah, you can't just have someone and, sit around, right? doesn't look Well, it's, it's not adding value to that person. They feel all. like, oh, you know, I'm in here for an hour. I'm resting for 40 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So I think that's a reasonable ask. But Yeah. Uh, number three. This was a question I really liked because it's, there's a lot of nuance here. So is strength training necessary? Keyword is necessary to lose weight. So <clears throat> it doesn't mention lose what kind of weight. Correct. Um, that was, that was the key. Healthy weight loss. I'll ask the question. I'll add, <laughs> I'll ask the question with another question. Do we need to develop lean muscle to lose body fat? hundred percent. So that's where I come from in that. I try to explain that to people because people don't get it sometimes. Why would I bulk up, quote unquote, to lose? Well, you have to. Lean muscle is the engine. It's the furnace, right? So yes, some resistance training, strength training is necessary to lose body fat. Now you can lose weight. Just don't eat. 
don't eat for a week, you lose weight. It's not healthy weight loss. So yes, to lose weight the way our philosophy goes with it, we I think strength training is an absolute. It's it's been proven. It's a must. You know. I mean, I agree completely There's on that. There's not much to say. say. <laughs> yeah, that one I think is open and shut. Well, and I'll add another thing because uh, anytime a new client starts with me, I'll make sure that I tell them that the weight on the scale will probably go up a little bit. Hundred percent when you when you first start. Because you have no adaptation to strength training, so you're going to be putting on a little bit of muscle in the beginning. Yeah. And if I if I give them that expectation up front, then they know not to get you know start to freak out that oh my gosh I've you know I thought I was going to start losing weight here in the beginning. Yeah, so. knowledge is power. If we just had a scale that showed just weight, it's tough. I have a client right now. He's older. He's almost seventy years old. His body fat has gone down 7% in the last four months, which is remarkable. And his lean muscle has gone up seven pounds. Yeah. Now, granted, he's, he's an ex-military officer. He's disciplined, but still. If, but his weight hasn't changed in yep. the last six weeks, but his composition has. So that, uh, that in-body that we have is, is tremendously helpful to, to know. Don't just go by weight. Go by how you look, how your clothes fit. And then if you can measure yourself on a scale that shows lean muscle and body fat, that's huge. To answer the question if is it necessary if, if it's just weight loss then you could not do strength training right. if you wanted to right if all you care about is the number just on the cardio <laughs> less calories cal- i mean you can definitely shift the killer but if it's body fat reduction which is why it's a good question it is yeah. open-ended we try to approach things from a healthy weight loss perspective right we want you to look more like a sprinter than a marathon runner nothing right. wrong with marathon runners but if they only run they get that different composition we want you to be as lean as possible knowing that as we get older the investment in muscle mass you put in now pays off. It's hard to put muscle on when you're 70 years old. Yeah. But if you start putting muscle on when you're 40 years old and build that, it helps. So we're looking at the big long term from our perspective. Yeah, I saw a stat on um, sarcopenia or mm-hmm. muscle loss yeah. for inactive adults. Yeah. It's like 3 to 8% per decade. You guys ever see that picture? It's a cross-section of a quad muscle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, You've yeah. seen that one? Where they show, I think it was a triathlete or some, a strength, someone who's doing strength training. The same age, they're like 70 years old, versus the one who doesn't. One still has a lot of lean muscle. The other one is just almost pure body fat. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, I think it was a triathlete. I think so. In that cross-section. The one I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually explaining this to one of my clients this week is um, as we age to a lot of that just muscle mass goes into strength, obviously. Um, And that's why you see a lot of people have trips and falls and things like that as they get older because they don't have the, the strength to pick up their leg usually. Yeah. Um, and usually it's deemed to a, uh, balance issue or something like that, but it can purely be just a strength and muscle imbalance, um, issue. Yes. But. There was a recent video I saw that went viral this week. It, this just, uh, this will take two seconds, but it was, it was a lady that had a stroller outside of her car. It was on the, it was on a slope kind of headed towards the main road. She f- tripped out of her car and couldn't get up. Yeah. And you could tell from the video, she was very obese, um, but somebody else who was a guy, w- right? Kind of watching. You, yeah. you may have seen I it. I saw. Yeah, came came out of the corner of the and caught the stroller before yeah. it went into the. I mean, that was crazy. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Was, so anyone that watched that video, I mean, that's reason enough to be like, all right, this is time to take take this seriously. Yeah, strength train for life. You don't have to be a quote unquote athlete, but yeah. that guy, if he was weak, that baby was going into the road in a stroller with oncoming traffic. Like, right. Strength train for life, man. It's it's key. Absolutely. Uh, all right, so the, these are these next three to four are really good. Um, number four, what are some of the most common mistakes people make when they start a strength training program? You want to go or you want? Yep. 
You can go ahead. Um, I think they they come in with the wrong expectations a lot of times. That was probably the first thing that came to mind. And um, especially if they're doing it on their own, if they're not working with a coach. I think they go in. I mean, we were just talking about this before we started. Um, you know, s- certain clients have a tendency to, you know, Google or go on YouTube and they think that, you know, the, the social influencer they see that they're, they're following online is, is reasonable and that's what they should be doing for themselves. And then they go into it and then they don't start seeing the same results that, that this person is seeing. So I, th- I think, I think that's probably the, one of the number one mistakes I see. Um, I'd have to say probably lack of patience for a good foundation. Mm. Um, wanting to put too much weight on the bar too soon or wanting to do too complex of movements too soon. Um, just because again, a lot of it's with the influencers or even something they see something fun. Um, it, there's a way to make training fun, but starting out, you have to have a good foundation or it's very hard to keep building upon it. And then that's when injuries occur, lack of motivation, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to know your audience because that what you're talking about probably is more applicable to the younger athletes, right? They're the ones that are on Instagram and they're like, this guy's doing a box jump over his head and I want to do that. A lot of our older clientele don't necessarily come from that, but they're like, well, my friend, it's different. But knowing your audience, one thing that I think we all do well is they don't even know their own goals sometimes, right? They know them, but they might like, okay, my goal is to lose 10 pounds. Okay, let's dig deeper. Tell me about, oh, I do this with my granddaughter. I walk up and down the stairs. Okay, so you... I want to be, I have another granddaughter coming. So we start to put more goals into their head. Like, okay, I want to be able to pick this granddaughter off the floor without hurting my back. I want to be able to lose weight. I want to, if we can help, the more clearly defined goals we have, mm-hmm. the easier it is to get them to quote unquote buy in to this program. Once they know what their goals are, then they become more patient, right? So we really push that injury preventative thing. Cause like, great. You want to do a box jump. That's great. What if you hurt your knee? Like, Let's try not to take, that's why I always talk about that sort of linear, pro, even though the progress will be undulating, I don't want you to do two steps forward, two steps back because you're hurt, because we're going too far, mm-hmm. too fast, too strong, too fast. So I would say the mistake people make is they don't have clearly defined goals and they don't have a clearly defined, like, it's good to have a goal, it's five years from now, but we need to have some smaller term goals. In two months, I want you to be able to do a squat pain-free, great. And then once they know that in advance, Except for the younger athletes, those are tough. <laughs> but a lot of the older individuals, they'll they'll have more patience built in once they know where they're going. Yeah, yeah. When with, with a younger athlete, you're slowing down to speed up for long term. Yeah. With them, I like to develop. So sometimes it's not a jump; it's something that I know won't hurt them. But like whether it's a stability ball, actually something that's really challenging that they just can't do, but it's it's safe. I'll integrate that, so they have something to shoot for. But even if they don't do it correctly right away, they don't get hurt like a bad jump, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you got to challenge those guys for sure and girls. Yeah. They like novel yes, stimulus. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Number five. How do you recommend people develop a balanced strength training routine that targets all major muscle groups? You guys can go first. I mean, I have a thought on that always, but you guys can go first I'll on let that you one. kick this one off. <sighs> well, it one depends on how many days a week they are able to train, what their goals are, um, what they're willing to do. Um, I think a big thing right now, too, that um, I'm seeing 
and clientele is wanting to do a lot of localized muscular training instead of <laughs> movements. Yeah. Um, I think training a movement will hit me- most of your main muscle groups, but training movements more important than saying, okay, I need to hit chest this day, back this day. But um, if someone's not willing to go into that route, trying to find a way, okay, they want to do a four or five day split where it's upper one day, lower that day, trying to find a way to motivate them with programming to train the movements and still get them to train the muscle. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I I was going to answer it from the, from a little bit of a different perspective. Like Mm -hmm. what, if the bare, if the bare minimum is I can only do once a week, then you could do full body has to be. Yeah. Or even if it was just twice a week, you would, you would maybe do anterior full body and then posterior full body. I would probably still from my end, if it's two times, we still do full body. Yeah. And both, then, both days is what yeah. I'm saying. Um, but then as it goes higher, I mean, if someone's able to train five days a week, most of our clients generally aren't. Not, not the like type, I mean, the executives, maybe twice a week is their limit really. But if they're doing five, you can still, I still wouldn't do, here's the thing, right? Like a tricep press down, uh, we integrate that into our workouts, but it's one exercise out of 10 or whatever, right? Like, right. They can do that on their own. That's the truth. You don't need me to coach a tricep press down. Not right away. Maybe in the beginning, but eventually that becomes a move that you can do on your own. Right. You can do arm day on your own pretty safely, right? You can sit down and do I mean, that, but if you talk about a squat or a deadlift or something that's like multi-segmental where you can hurt yourself, so it's all relative. Again, if you can break down to them like, okay, if you're doing full body three times a week, how many times are you hitting each body part? Three times. If you do a chest day, how many times are you hitting chest? Once. What's better for you? It depends on what is better for them. I think the local thing is more bodybuilding. And that's fine. If that's your goal. Is your goal to get absolutely jacked and not move well necessarily? Not to throw bodybuilders under the bus. But if they're truly bodybuilding, their main focus is not optimizing movement. They don't move athletically. That's not what they want to do. They want to be as jacked as possible, which is very hard. I mean, I admire those guys for that. But yeah, what's the goal? Because then that dictates like what the strength program should look like, what the split should look like. Yeah. And yeah. then obviously you're only as good as your ability to recover. So 100%. if you're picking a five day split and you're already stressed and traveling and yeah. So I think picking, it goes back to picking the right program. That's yeah. most applicable for your time domain, your schedule, your recovery, your, your, recovery, yeah. your stress, your nutrition. All 100%, that stuff. Yeah. Cool. What is the difference between training for hypertrophy Versus training for power and explosiveness. It's kind of piggyback from the last question. You guys go first. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. I, I like to, like if, especially if I'm talking to more of an athlete, I like to put it on a continuum of absolute strength and then absolute speed on the far end. And then you've got strength, speed in the middle and speed strength in mm-hmm. the middle. So if I'm, I would say most athletes are more on the absolute speed when they start to come to us because they all they do is you know running and sprints and conditioning and then so i try and take them all the way to the other end of that spectrum and then you can kind of fill them in fill them in with the gaps because i would think uh like a strength speed movement i would think would be more like olympic lifting type thing sure and then your speed strength is going to be like more medicine ball stuff um plyos that kind of thing um, so that's kind of how I differentiate the, those. those. Th- oh, it's a volume thing too, man. Like hypertrophy, again, that's bodybuilding, right? Um, nothing wrong with that. We all try to keep muscle. We need to have that lean. We talked about this many questions ago. Lean muscle is how we burn body fat. But hypertrophy is typically higher volume. 
a, a, have you ever looked at like well you guys know but I'm saying the average person what a real bodybuilder how many hours they, they <laughs> spend training they do it just a chest and chest day that's a three and a half hour workout volume power by definition you cannot generate that much power that many times right it's why I have and I'm not going to say the name of the organization we all know who they are they're all over the world they try to do power movements as many reps as possible doesn't make any sense you it, it's the two like it's an oxymoron almost mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a difference of volume. I think, sure. and I think too, um, with the hypertrophy thing, it's also what kind of hypertrophy because, sure. um, there's two different kinds, two different kinds yeah, and too many different kinds. Yeah. Like for my athletes, for example, when we train hypertrophy, I don't really like to go up into the high rep ranges unless it's learning a new movement and doing very, very low impact type things. Sure. Um, but if we were looking for true hypertrophy, I would rather do eight sets of five then four sets of 10 any mm -hmm. day if we're in a off season block. Yep. Um, just go says we can really focus on the quality of the movement and the speed of the movement um, because we don't want slow controlled reps again, dependent sure. on um, we don't want to lose that ability to be explosive. Um, and so there's some gray area where they can kind of almost mesh in. Um, but with the power, if you're, if you're just doing like absolute power, absolute speed, um, typically speed too. Um, speed's a hard one to talk about with reps and, because you have to track it to know if your speed's dropping, if the velocity of the bar, if you're doing speed movements with the bar, um, sprints are a great way to see what your capacity is sure. and things mm -hmm. like that. So reps, rep ranges kind of vary, but. Well, and I think tempo plays into that too. Like you were saying with hypertrophy is going to be way more controlled than a power cleaner you know something yeah you're trying to get as much muscle i mean you're trying to get that muscle destroyed as much as possible as much right? tension yes time under tension is yeah. huge with hypertrophy so yeah i mean i would say that generally speaking our clients are looking for a blend even the athletes they want to look a certain way so they want to build some muscle but they want, it needs to be actual strength behind that muscle just because they're different they play golf or whatever it may be so we have to kind of blend I, I mix rep schemes up quite a bit depending on what I'm working with, right? If I'm For doing sure. tricep press downs, I might do a set of 12. If I'm doing a, a power jump, it might be five. If I'm doing a kettlebell swing, it might be 20. It all, it's all related. Like, what are we working on? That's the one thing I will say for all our clients or any potential clients is like, does your trainer, does he or she know like why you're doing that many reps? Right. Or is it just an arbitrary thing that they saw online? So, yeah. That's good. Uh, <coughs> Last one, but we might get into a few more if, if uh, time allows for yeah, it. Uh, so what are some effective strategies for recovering after a tough strength training workout? It's funny because we were talking about this before. Yeah, you guys, <laughs> roll, roll with it then. Roll with that. <laughs> you yeah. go first and I'll, I'll fill it in. <laughs> Initially, the low-hanging fruits, you know, I guess not late. Yeah, uh, sleep, nutrition, hydration, all of those. Um, it, and we've talked about that a few a few times. Um but if you're looking outside of proper sleep and um, nutrition, um, I personally like uh, zone one, zone two cardio mm -hmm. um, for recovery, just flow movements. And that doesn't mean go on a 30 minute jog or anything like that. You can literally just do a movement of mobility flow. Um, try to get your heart rate into zone one, zone two, those kind of things. Um, just movement, I feel for personally works better for me, but. So more of an active recovery approach. Yeah. 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 Active recovery, I think, is very beneficial for sure. Rather yeah. than just you know, sitting around or, <laughs> you know, 
Yep. Yeah. 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 When I think uh, zone two, I'm thinking like a monostructural, like a bike, something more um, concentric based. Yep. Not not because you you mentioned jogging and that's more yeah. load bearing and. Yeah. Um, and some eccentric, people when they think eccentric loading. Yeah. Some people when they think of aerobic work, they auto, their mind goes to running, yeah. and that's a lot of lot on your joints and yeah. it's yeah, not gonna it's not really active rec- i mean it can be but generally speaking swimming is more active recovery yeah. biking something that's not so impactful you heard i had a conversation with debbie today because her legs were so my client she saw me on tuesday she did pilates uh, yesterday she saw me again today she did well but her legs were sore i'm like all right tomorrow just ride the peloton for 20 minutes don't go too heavy on the resistance just get the legs moving she said, oh, okay so and then stretch afterwards yeah. it's a perfect little active recovery now that we're listening about the, oh, we're, we're it. <laughs> and not to overdo it either. Um, we were talking about this before, um, not going to two hours, 90 minutes to two hours, um, for your active recovery. A lot of people think, um, like for their doing cardio. what, what kind of activity are we talking about here? Boxing could be, um, could be like an elliptical bike. Yeah. How many, how much time? <laughs> 90 minutes to two hours. Yeah, I mean, two hours is not active recovery at that point, right? right. You're just getting tired again. I mean, it's ultimately, so there's not much. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably too much. There's a minimum effective dose there as well. For sure. And 90 minutes isn't it, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing with um, cold plunges now. Like, Sure. I think the data is suggesting maybe maximum of 11 minutes of exposure a week. Combined, yeah, for the entire week. For the whole week. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people that are getting into that space now are doing just a minimum of 11 minutes. No, they're trying to tough it out for 11 minutes at a time. They're right. trying to like prove themselves, which is not good either, yeah. So more is not always better. No, correct. That's a good way of putting it. That, that's kind of what her and I were talking about earlier. But yeah. I, I think also, um, I mean, we, we talked about the low-hanging fruit, but like being a little more specific, men, men don't need as much sleep as women. Um, so I, I, that's one thing I look at for the female clients. I feel like if that's probably the lowest hanging fruit to look at first, um, cause sleep is sleep. Yeah. Um, and then obviously nutrition plays a huge role and we don't have time to go into that per se. But, um, when I think of zone two, I think of like 30 minutes. Yeah. 30 is where yeah. I have to be at. <laughs> yeah. Generally speaking, like, 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe once or twice a week, if they've got more, specific goals you might throw in one conditioning more high intensity thing um, for that but i think of like swimming too i think like a you could do a zone two swim and that's very low on the on the body like as far as a strain on the body but what i like about swimming too um is the integration with the breath work because Mm -hmm. swimming forces you to have to either calm your breathing or slow down sure um, and even if you're working on a bike or pel- or bike or elliptical or anything like that, low, um, impact, you can still work on your breathing. And that's a huge, um, low hanging fruit. I think that people don't utilize either is just breath work. Mm. Yeah. I think breath works huge. I didn't even think about adding that on the recovery side of things, but I've noticed when I've on my uh, whoop tracker, yeah. the nights that I do breath work before bed versus the ones I don't, my sleep scores and recovery scores are always higher. Because I'm able to get into the parasympathetic state before exactly sleep. It. The PNS gets more activated. Also, breathing, if done correctly, I mean, so people don't look at the ribs as a joint, but I do. I think you should. A lot of times when people have lack of thoracic spine mobility, it's actually the rib cage that's compromised or that's tight. So proper breathing, it does help with just that parasympathetic nervous system getting us out of fight or flight. 
It helps with our rib cage expanding and getting more mobility in the ribs, if you look at it that way. So really, and then because of the lives we live, and when I say we, I mean everybody, us, our clients, it's very sympathetic driven. Go, go, go. Yeah. Breath work is important because even during their workouts, it helps them recover in between sets. So they're able to perform better. Also for our athletes, they can slow it down when they're, you know, there's one more, two seconds in the game and they have one more shot. So the breath work is huge across the spectrum, whether it's an executive, an athlete, us, huge. Should be integrated, I think, sometimes in the very beginning as we're coaching them into foam rolling and those type of things. Just the basics of laying on your back and breathing and expanding. We try to teach that for a reason, for all of the above. And that could be a culprit for a lower back pain for, for a lot of people, of too. Of course, they're not breathing correctly. They don't know how to brace. They don't know how to if you don't know how to breathe correctly, it's hard to use your core correctly. That's a fact. So... All of that, that's what the breath belt teaches is diaphragmatic, diaphragmat- I can't even say the word right now. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, breathing. diaphragmatic breathing. Yeah, <clears throat> that's what it teaches. And so, yeah, breathing is huge, not just for recovery, but for really training. I think we don't, most trainers don't teach that well enough. Correct. Kind of like what Hannah said earlier, there's the, the client dictates the pace of the workout. And so there's not a foundation laid because the trainer is nervous to slow everything down, like, that's where we have to be fitness professionals at a very high level. That's why that initial consultation and everything is so important. And that's another reason why we assess besides getting better programming when we assess is like, okay, here's what our, like I said, our first phase has to just be this. They need to have a little bit of a vision built that we build for them. Otherwise, yeah, they'll get impatient. They come in here and they haven't lost five pounds in the first month. They're like, well, what? what am I doing? I lost weight on my own when I wasn't eating. You know what I mean? So we have to make sure that we're like really helping them with their journey. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Slowing down to speed up is the Helping to define like, I look at it, you guys know what a Sherpa is obviously. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Over in Everest, they're the ones who lead you up the mountain. That's what we have to look at. We're kind of next to them in the journey, Mm -hmm. but they are counting on us to lead them. And so like if there's a, spot on the mountain that's extremely dangerous that's where we have to okay cool this is how we're going to take that 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 gap right because they're not going to do it or they're going to do it too quickly and fall right <laughs> to use the analogy so we have to make sure we guide them and sometimes that does mean slowing them down but sometimes that means pushing them from behind like no you're good you got this i'm afraid no i know you hurt your back with somebody else we're not going to do that to you you know what i mean and so that's where our whole approach kind of comes from here at fit method and, and beyond well, and depending on the age of the client, they might have s- certain apprehensions or 100%. past trauma from other things that yeah. they're bringing into it. Too. Some people, we have to help them hit the gas. Some people, we have to teach them how to pump the brakes. A lot of her her athletes, they want to hit the gas all the time. So she's got to teach them how to pump the brakes. They're like, you know, 17-year-old dude ready. saw on Instagram guys doing backflips. Okay, let's <laughs> yeah off of buildings. Let's not do that. Let's try this instead. Like, you have to be able to really help push and pull and that's a big part that's why listen i don't know how you guys feel but after a long day of training we should all be mentally exhausted a little bit yeah oh yeah if you're a good coach and you're not you're not coaching to your potential it means you're just going through the motions you should be like watching every rep giving feedback like i said pumping the brakes helping them to pump or hit the accelerator like that push and pull all day if you don't feel a little bit mentally drained at the end of the day i encourage you as a trainer to look in the mirror and figure out how i can do better because you should be a little tired at the end of the day Mentally and physically to some extent. Would you say you have that conversation a lot with athletes? Yes. Um, <laughs> and a, a big one on the athletes is uh, like bench pressing the most. That's the one of I course. get. They want to bench on their own. And I'm like, you're an overhead athlete. This is 
probably the worst thing that you can do on a daily basis. Hundred percent. Um, yeah, and that's where you have to really educate because again, they're watching. We have more. There's more outside influences than ever with the gram and everything else. TikTok nowadays. hundred percent. So what she said, hundred. If someone's an overhead athlete, like like what, like volleyball or volleyball, even basketball with their shooting form. Yeah. yeah. Get, yep. I knew a professional basketball player. He still plays for a team that I love. Right. He came to our facility in South Florida a few times, and he said, "This is their old trainer. He used to have the trainers to have them do overhead presses with forty pounds." And I was like, "Hey, man, that's what's the most amount of weight you have to lift over your head as a basketball player?" Is it like five ounces? I don't know. Yeah, how basketball. Much, I don't know exactly. How, I don't know how much that exactly. thing weighs? Is it five ounces or something? Whatever the ball weighs. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not that's sure. it. That maybe a little more than that just to get. But but forty pound, fifty pound overhead presses doesn't make any sense. So for an overhead athlete, they have to understand like, okay, Hannah, let's see you're the athlete. Why? Why do you want to bench 500 pounds? Because you saw it on the video? Because your buddies can bench more than you? Okay. Let me break down like the, the shoulder joint and why you're going to get more out of being able to pull more mm-hmm. than push. Yep. Pulling muscles decelerate the arm. You can throw heavier. You can throw further. I tell my son all the time. I train Michael. He's 10. But I'm like, listen, we're going to do more pulling than pushing today. He's like, why, dad? And I explained to him, these are the muscles that prevent your arm from getting injured. These are the muscles that, that decelerate your arm. They keep your shoulder healthy. The stronger those muscles are, the more velocity you can throw with. He's like, okay. So I'll tell that same athlete, if you bench, that sounds awesome. You're benching 500 pounds. Here's the potential damage, especially barbell benching. Do not like barbell benching for athletes. There's only one athlete I like barbell benching for, and that's because they have to do it at combine. Football. Yes. Yeah. Like, a other, line, like a lineman. Other than I try to like, <laughs> I, I have someone hold a stick. I'm like, okay, do a bench without the stick. Look at how your hands go from wider to more narrow. Now hold a stick. What does a stick force you to do? Or hold the barbell. You yeah. can't, you don't get that translation. I saw a barbell that the thing moves. Have you seen that one before? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not the safest thing, <laughs> but conceptually I like the idea because yeah. ultimately that's why I don't like the barbell generally speaking is that it doesn't allow for a natural shoulder path. So that's the conversation you have to have. And then you know this obviously with kids because man, if you let them dictate like, or if they see what they see on the gram, I don't care if your friend bench presses twice as much as you. I'm going to show you how to throw twice as hard as he does and not get injured. Boom. Unless you're powerlifting, that's your goal. Yeah. Again, <laughs> specificity. If they have to train bench press because they bench press in competition. That's different. The, different. And much respect. I mean, listen, if you can bench press 500 pounds, you're a monster in my eyes. That's that's crazy. But it depends if it's an overhead athlete who specializes in throwing, shooting a basketball, uh, tennis, bench press, not the right answer from my perspective. And if you think about it, too, if you're teaching them to be very dominant on pushing with the upper body, yeah. um, they're not going to use much of their legs or any rotation. Say they're, in a, they're right. a rotational athlete. They're just going to try to muscle it through because they feel the yeah. strength of constantly trying to produce force through their upper body. Yeah. Um, they develop a bad kinetic chain or yeah. lack of a kinetic chain. It's yeah. all upper body. So um, I looked at a few NFL strength conditioning manuals, and the ones I'm always drawn to always have a lot of shoulder mobility and shoulder work. Mm. And not just for quarterbacks, for linemen, for everybody. If I'm going to push you off the line and I have poor shoulder stability, I'm one bad push away from hurting my shoulder. Now I'm out of the season. So, yeah. I know we got into tangent there, but that's an important tangent to go on. Yeah. <laughs> well, durability is what it comes down to. <laughs> we always look, that's one thing we have in common. We all have a lot of things in common. We have different approaches, but same common, like we want the same goal for our clients. And we always look at that long term. If a trainer can get you to lose weight or whatever in three months, but you're hurting after the fact, and that's what you want, that's fine. But we look at like 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. 
your kids that you're training that are 15. What they're doing now is going to impact 100%, them. The rest of their life. And, and also their mentality behind it. Yeah. If they leave you to go to college and they say, you know what? I'll bench press, but it's not going to be my main lift. You've saved that kid's shoulders in my mind, mm-hmm. right? Versus going to college, right? And just benching to the blue in the face. And now <laughs> shoulder doesn't feel the same. They can't play sports anymore. Their career is over. Yeah. So yeah, lessons for life, man. Yeah, it's good. Well, that's all I had. Those are some good questions. Yeah. I think one takeaway that we, at least that I take away is like training is nuanced, right? Incredibly nuanced. And so like even people in my family through marriage of whatever they don't really get it They're like oh you're a trainer they think it's just a cool kind of gig right they don't realize that okay to be a good coach to be a successful coach to help people of different types and different bodies and stuff it's very nuanced you have to know how to address rest how to program how to be a psychologist how to do all these things training is nuanced which is why we call this place fit method we want to have that development of a method or methodology that any trainer can come here and learn and train at a high level because that's what we want to be known for. This is a funny uh, story I remember yeah. from years ago at, at a different facility. Yeah. <laughs> I had a guy come up and approach me and he asked me if all the coaches or trainers, whatever you want to call us, uh, if we were all part-time, this was like just what we did. And, you know, we right. did, did something else more full-time. I was like, no, right. No, we're all very full time. I told him, I was like, I'm here like 70 hours a week right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> and he didn't believe me. Yeah. <laughs> because they know other, other models. A lot of the trainers are part time. That's so, their side gig. Yep. And that's fine. But for the coaches we have here and those of us who are in the industry that want to do this for a living and make a very good living from it, it's not a part time gig. Not at all. Yep. It's a career at this point. I think that's why um, I like the the term coach or fitness professional yeah, better absolutely. because I do too. a yeah. personal trainer is looked at as someone that works out for fun. Yeah. And is like, oh, let's just do this today or this today. Right. Um, and kind of talking about like the questions that were on for this, um, for this podcast, all the questions that were asked, they're good questions because that's probably stuff that everyone's seeing on a day-to-day basis. Oh, this is the optimal rep range. This is, op- and people are probably confused because- different sources are giving different information. There's and, a lot of information overload right now. Yeah. And whether or not, okay, you see a bodybuilder um, on Instagram saying, let's do this amount of rep ranges. Or if you see someone training for athletics doing this or a physical therapist recommends this amount yeah. of rep range, yeah. there's a lot of probably confusion. Yeah. Um, whether or not to use a belt or not, like just there's tons of information out there and it's probably really hard to decipher what is good for them personally. So, yeah, I mean, deciphering, helping them wade through that more than ever, I think, is a responsibility of fitness professionals, more than yes. before, right? There there was not that many resources back in the day. There was some DVDs, there was Tybo or whatever, you know? Like I'm mm-hmm. Now there's like, man, there's so many things. There's influencers who have a program, we talked about this before, for 100 bucks a month. They have no idea how you move, but here's the program they send to everybody. That they so, don't even do themselves. Right, <laughs> well, you know, and they look a certain way. Well, I want to look like that guy. So, yeah, helping them to wade through that, because... People do ask. Mm-hmm. I've seen this. I've seen this. Okay, great. Let's talk about it. Yeah. And that, that's what keeps our guys and girls so sharp is that we have to be able to have those conversations and explain why we do things the way we do. If it's very surface level, there's not much value there in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So, yeah, great conversation. Awesome, guys. Well, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Dave. All right. See you guys soon.